The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. I'm your host, Joey Bushnell. Today I'm joined by a top web copywriter, Nick Osborne. Nick has authored several books on the subject. Go to nickosborne.com to find out more. Nick, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, you're very welcome. Nick, how did you become a copywriter? Oh, by, by accident, really. Uh, <laughs> I was about 22 and my dad was gently shunting me out of a house and gave me a <laughs> ticket to go up to London and tell me to get a job and I had an old school friend there and I rang him up and said I need somewhere to stay and he lived in a house, a shit, I think there were four of them sharing the house, there wasn't a room but I I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor and uh, one weekend we were all sitting around the breakfast table and actually the first weekend and there was a kind of introductions and there was you know one guy there and I said well what do you do and he said I work in an ad agency and I said well what's an ad agency because I, th- I thought companies did their own advertising. I'd never heard of such things as ad agencies. And he said, yeah, yeah. And he explained a bit. And I said, well, is it fun? And he said, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great fun. And, and this is back in the late 90, late 70s, early 80s. And, and he was right. It was fun. So I said, oh, okay. And they all went off to work Monday morning. I didn't have a job. So I took out the yellow pages and I, I kind of looked up advertising agencies. And on my manual typewriter, I typed out 20 letters. I think I got as far as the C's in, in ad agencies in London. And I sent out the 20 letters. I got three interviews, one job offer, and took it. Great. And uh, that's it. It was just like, uh, it wasn't my ambition. It wasn't, I didn't even know ad agencies existed. And, uh, so I started working there and quickly discovered that copywriting was my thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on the way. And these days you're a freelancer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for most of the time, uh, over the last 30 years, I've worked for myself. I've, there have been a few little spots where I've been an employee, usually not for very long. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been a freelancer most of that time. Is it true to say that you specialize in web copy, Nick? Yes, absolutely. I was, I was doing print, uh, predominantly direct response up until December 31st, 1997. And, uh, I made a decision at that point, And as of, uh, January 1st, 1998, I've been exclusively online. I haven't written a word of print or offline media since then. So how does web copy differ to offline copy? Firstly, does it differ? And if it does, how does it differ? Well, in, uh, there are similarities. There are, there are certain fundamentals in terms of communication and selling and direct response that are, that are the same, whether it's online or offline. Um, that said, it is a hugely different medium. Um, and I think it's principally because of the, I guess, the ownership of the medium. You know, if you go back to direct mail, print, TV, radio, traditional media, they, they, those media are owned by media companies. Um, and basically, you know, those companies do what they want with those media and they create these broadcast messages, whether it be a piece of direct mail or whether it's a TV commercial. Uh, you know, they're, they're crafting their message and throwing it at the audience. Yeah. Online is, is somewhat different because <laughs> the companies don't own the medium. The, the users, the public own the medium. Yeah. Uh, you know, regular people publish far more 
online every day than, than companies and corporations and organizations do. Um, so this is a, this is a medium that's owned by billions of regular people and, and basically have their own kind of expectations and way of communicating online. And it is much more conversational. It's much more about engagement. It's much more about transparency. So, you know, I, I, I've spoken about this a lot and, and sometimes I look at the difference between a, you know, a print brochure, um, and, and the web. And in fact, back in 1998, my big thing was that writing for the web is different. And I used to give these presentations and I'd, uh, I'd sh- back then companies were still cutting and pasting their offline copy and text onto the web. And I, you know, in presentations, I show up examples of this and a piece of text that, that works fine in a glossy brochure when you put it on the web. It's just ridiculous. Uh, the voice is wrong. The whole approach is wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, so yes, although there are some fundamental truths about communicating and, and marketing, with words, uh, the way in which you do it online is fundamentally different. Uh, the conversation is very different because there is a conversation, there is feedback. Um, the, the audience is no longer voiceless, which, the, which they are in terms of a TV commercial or a piece of direct mail. The, the recipient has no, you know, they can't send a piece of direct mail back or they can't add their own TV commercial to a television. Um, they're just a passive recipient, and, and that changes the language. It changes how you write for, for the web. Nick, on your website, you have a free report which is called Writing for the Web. In that report, you talk about seven challenges that we face as people who write on the web. One of those points that you make is about making sure that the visitor to your website does not get lost on the website. Do you have any tips to help us avoid that happening? Yeah, and, and, well, a lot of it comes down to the organization of the website, which we you know, professionally, you'd refer to that to the site architecture, uh, the way you organize the information. And then it also speaks of usability, which is the science of making a, a website usable, which basically means help people find where they want to go. Hey, look at it this way. If, if, if you walk into a large store, uh, let's say in the UK, you walk into Tesco or in North America, you walk into Walmart, you can see at a glance, you'd look around, you can see all the departments. It's all in one space. Uh, you, you put Walmart on the web, and all you've got is a front page. You've got a home page. Mm-hmm. In fact, it doesn't matter whether you're Walmart or a corner store. You both have the same space and size for your home page, and everything else is hidden behind that. It's not like walking into a store. It's not like leafing through a catalog where you can kind of see stuff at a glance. You can't see a website at a glance. All you can see is the home page or whatever page you arrived at. So you, you have to organize, you know, hey, if, if you just got a 10-page website, it's not a challenge. Uh, if you have a 1,000-page website, uh, I did some consulting for a very, very large company everyone would have heard for, and I asked them how many pages they had on the website, uh, and they said, we're not quite sure, but we think it's somewhere between 10 and 15 million. Whoa. So some websites are very large indeed. So, yeah. so you have to organize your information in such a way that people can find what they want. But back in the 90s, you know, Amazon was invested a huge amount of work into this because, of course, they have a huge store. And and what they try to achieve is they want to get you – if someone comes to the homepage, they want to get you to the product page that you want within three clicks. And, in fact, there's been a lot of testing done on this. If it takes more than three clicks to get to where the person really wants to be – 
you start seeing a dramatic drop-off in conversion rates. Okay. So, yeah, it's about site architecture. It's about usability. It's about making it really simple for people. You know, pe- people never, you know, re- again, unless it's a very small website or a very small business, people will almost never find exactly what they want on the homepage. Mm-hmm. They've got to find it on an interior page, and you might have thousands of those as a business. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's quite, the, it's quite the challenge. It's quite the interesting challenge to help people get there uh, within three clicks. So would that be a case of having a really clear navigation bar or a search bar, for example? Well, a search box is certainly helpful. And, the navig- you know, if you look at the horizontal tabs uh, on a lot of websites across the top beneath the header, uh, you know, those, you know, let's say you've got eight different tabs there, that they will basically correspond to the principal categories of information on your website. Um, so, you know, if I'm, if, if it's a, if it's a garden, uh, website, they, they might have something about, you know, might have a tab for garden furniture, um, a tab for plants, um, a tab for landscape design or something. So those would represent three principal areas of the website. So at a glance, as I come to the website, you know, if my interest is in fact in, in kind of garden landscape design, I can, I can see that tab. And I go, okay, bang, that's where I want to be, and I click on it. So, yeah, sometimes it's down to just simple, clear navigation. I mean, another thing I used to do when I was working a lot with corporate, large corporate companies um, is I'd I'd say, look, I'm guessing that there are just four things that 80% of your visitors want to do when they arrive at your homepage, and that's generally true. Um, you know, there is an equal interest in every page or every category on a, on a business website. There's usually some that are more popular than others. So I'd say give me those four. I'll give you maybe there are three, but don't make it more than four. Okay. Let's please 80% rather than uh, not really pleasing 100%. Uh, and I'd take those four categories, those four interior areas of the site, and then I'd, you know, create something on that home page. It may be a boxed-off area. Uh, it may be a strong kind of linked area so that people at a glance, you know, most people can see where they want to get to at a glance and then say, yeah, that's it, and click. A second point that you mentioned in your free report was that you've got to write in a way on your website that is both for the reader, for your company, and also for the search engines. So does that create a bit of a conflict? Can we write in a way that works for all three? Well, um <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it, that's, that's always been a challenge. And in fact, uh, I've got to update that report because of course now there's another one, which is social media. Okay. Because you can not only optimize content for search engines, you can also optimize it for social media to maximize, you know, sharing and distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, is, is the conflict in there? There can be. Uh, the conflict that I, that I generally get out of the way as quickly as possible is, uh, that first one, I think we use maybe at first or second you mentioned, which is, saying what the company wants to say. And usually I push back on that and say, you know what, uh, you know, you saying your thing about your company is, is the least valuable thing among this mix. Uh, first is let's please your readers because if you please the search engines or you please social media but you don't please your readers, then you're dead. Okay. So if nothing else, you know, the first priority is to write content, uh, to write, you know, pages and websites that will please your readers. Uh, you know, like I say, if you fail in that area, you fail in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, yeah, it, it used to be then the next thing was, okay, now we want to 
optimize this for search engines. Maybe we're going to tinker around with the phrases we use so that we're still pleasing our reader, but we've also got a strong keyword here for this page so we can attract some organic search traffic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's the whole skill is, is how do you optimize for the search engines without messing up the experience for the reader? Um, and again, now, like I say, there's this additional overlay of, okay, we've got to keep this as good as it can possibly be for the reader, uh, but we want to optimize for the search engines, and we also want to optimize for social media, so this content or this page or this video or whatever it is uh, becomes you know, as shareable as possible. Okay. okay. So, so yeah, that's a juggling act, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it, there's a skill there, and, and sometimes you get it just right, and sometimes you don't. It's very true what you said about pleasing the reader being the number one thing because if they're not pleased, then they're not going to share it on social media. And also Google and the other search engines, they want content that their users are going to find valuable. Google, for the last couple of years, ever since Panda, mm-hmm. um, is much, much, much tougher now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much smarter at finding pages that have clearly been created uh you know, where the priority is to please the search engines, almost yeah. to game the search engines. Uh, so a lot of those pages have just disappeared off the rankings altogether. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, now you have to – I mean, I mean Google, Google has always wanted us to please the reader first. They've always said it. Yeah. And, and they've just become more uh, sophisticated and more aggressive in weeding out all those pages that are primarily optimized and created to attract search engine traffic. Why should we be treating each page on our website like it's a landing page? Well, the thing about the thing about any page on on a website is that well, let, let me step back. Let, let, let's just say you know maybe not everyone listening is familiar with the term landing page. You know, basically a landing page, one way or another, is a sales page. Uh, you want to sell a product or service, or you want to get someone's email address. You want someone to register to have a free trial or whatever. Uh, landing pages you know, sometimes are not even part of the permanent architecture of the site. Uh, their page is created specifically to drive sales, and very often we drive traffic to them through email or social media or some other, uh, you know, pay-per-click or some other uh, some other channel. Mm-hmm. And the thing about a landing page is that it's all about conversion rate. It, it, that's the only thing you measure. Is this is a sales page? We're trying to get the Visitors to do something, and what what are the percentage of visitors who actually do do you know do what we want them to do? That's the conversion rate, and that's all we're concerned with, basically, with a landing page. Now, when I say that every page on a website needs to be looked at and viewed through that lens, uh, I guess what I'm saying is that whatever the page, if someone arrives at your website, let's say they're a stranger, first time visitor to your website. Mm-hmm. And they read a page, and they may think that page is fabulous. If they don't do something, if they read your page, or listen to your video, or go through your slideshow, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they say, oh, man, that was great, and then they hit the back button, you just failed because they probably won't be back again. You know, they might hear about you again six months later and read another page and think, hey, that page was really great. Then they leave. You failed. If you, if you don't, <laughs> you know, if, if somebody comes to your homepage mm-hmm. and they just look at your homepage and they don't click through to any other page, you failed. 
because you're not, you're not closing a sale or you're not, you're not achieving, you know, basically with most homepages. And again, this is with the exception of very, very small websites, but most pages, homepages are just step one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you have to get people to click. You know, if, if on, on a homepage, the, the minimum requirement is that someone clicks through to another page. They haven't left. You have another chance. But if people, if people come to a page, um, and read it and maybe just absolutely adore it and love it, but leave, you just fail. So that's why I say use that same lens is that whatever the page, wherever it is within the website, when someone comes to this page, we have to get them to do something that we have to again measure conversion rate. We have to measure click through, uh, of the people who come to this page, how many leave and how many click through elsewhere or take some kind of action because without, without action, you failed. So on each available page on your website or on each interior page, would you say that it's a smart thing to have an opt-in box somewhere available on the page or your social media button showing or your phone number showing on every single page so that however they come into your site, they can take an action at the end of reading the content? Well, it kind of depends. I mean, I do, you know, on my site, it's always on the right-hand side. There's a sign-up for my newsletter. There's various social media things. Um, but that, but that right-hand side of any website, um, is, is not nearly as powerful as the, the central, the main body, the, you know, the main body of the, of, of, of the page. Uh, if you look at eye tracking studies, you know, you'll see predominantly almost all the attention is in that center, big fat center column. Very little actual attention is paid to the right. So just as an example, you know, like if you read my, blog post this morning or my blog post last Thursday, you will read the content mm-hmm. and then underneath that it'll say, hey, if you if you found this useful and want to be sure you don't mix the, net, the, mix the next post, sign up for my newsletter and I'll send it to you by email. So what I'm doing, if someone likes a, likes a page, I, I try and capture them because mm-hmm. if I don't and they leave, then I've achieved nothing. Okay. I mean, there, there are basically, I think, that there are, when I, when I talk about this in terms of uh, the performance of a website, uh, you know, I have, I talk about plan A, plan B, plan C, and there is no plan D. Plan A is someone comes to your website, and, and maybe they look at one page, maybe they look at five pages, doesn't matter. If plan A is to get someone to buy something, mm-hmm. or a free trial or whatever, you know, that, that, that's great. You've, you've clearly succeeded. Mm-hmm. Plan B, if somebody doesn't buy on that visit, um, you, you, you want at least to collect their name and email address so that you have an opportunity to get back to them. So plan A is buy something. Plan B is if they don't buy, then, then let's at least capture their contact information. If you fail in those two areas, plan C is to get them to click on a Facebook button or or, or Twitter or Google Plus or YouTube or whatever and get them to follow you or subscribe to your channel or, or whatever it is. You don't have the same control and quality of attention you would if you got them on your mailing list, but at least they're not altogether lost. Yeah. So this is kind of declining quality of, uh, of attention, the buyer, the subscriber, and then the social media follower. And there is no plan D. If you don't achieve one, two, or three, you've lost. So the editorial kind of content that you produce on your site, for example, your blog post, how is that helping in the selling process? I guess in terms of the selling process, there are two things that I try to do when I write content. 
Uh, obviously, I want to write something that's useful and interesting and relevant to my readers because I want them to come back. I want them to subscribe. I want them to follow me on Twitter, etc., uh, etc. Et so I, I, I've got to work hard to create quality content that is useful to to, to the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that I do with my content is is I want to build trust. I want people to read my stuff and think, hey, you know, this guy, Nick, he, he really knows what he's talking about and he seems sincere and he's not one of those totally hypey people. I think I can, I think I can respect and trust what he says. This sounds like a place that I should come back to. Because in terms of the sales process, you know, I, I, I've got to, first I've got to find someone. I've got to take a stranger and, I, and I've got to get them to find me. I then need to turn that person kind of into a friend in a sense, like, like, hey, I like Nick's stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I got to get them to trust me. Like, wow, I, I, I kind of respect this. This is a place I can feel safe and comfortable learning from. And once I've, once I've gone from introduction to friend to trust, I, I, I've actually got about 80% of the sales process done now. Mm-hmm. If someone trusts me and then I say, oh, by the way, and now we'll get into the content. Like some of my content is just, hey, I think you'd find this useful. Uh, but probably about 80% of my content that I, my blog posts, um, I have an ulterior motive. Of course, I'm a business. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I, is I write a post that I think will be helpful, useful, informative. And then if you, if you look down either within the body of the post or as a kind of related information underneath the post, it says, oh, and by the way, if this is something you would like to know more about, as it happens, I've written a book about this or I've published a program or a course about this. So there is a pre-selling element. Mm-hmm. So my content pages are not sales pages. They're not sales pages, uh, but many of them are actually pre-selling. All right, but 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 again, I I can't be too selly because I'm trying to uh, build trust mm-hmm. with my reader. Mm-hmm. That's really important, so that when they when if if my readers trust me and then they come across a bit of a pre-sale, mm-hmm. and I think you know what, yeah, this guy's taught me a lot just reading his posts. Uh, you know, if I got his book or his program, I'll probably get a ton of useful information. So you're building trust with them. You're showing you clearly have expertise and showing your credibility. And all of that over time is changing someone's attitude towards you. So when the time comes to sell to them properly, then they're in a whole different mindset and receptivity towards your offer. It's very important, Nick, isn't it, that you include a call to action at the end of the post. Is that right? Absolutely. Because, you know, I'm not writing all this. You know, I've written since 1998, probably somewhere between two and three thousand articles and posts. And I'm not doing it just because I'm a nice guy and I want to share what I know. <laughs> I'm doing it because I want to I want to make a living and pay my bills. Yeah. So there is purpose behind my content. A lot of people just throw out content and, and maybe they think, oh, the readers will love this or, oh, Google will love this. But that content is a dead end. It has no purpose. Mm-hmm. All, all the content that I create has a purpose. If I, if I write a post, it's because I want you to sign up for something, register for something, buy something. If I, if I, if I sell you an ebook for $9.95, it's not because that $9.95 is going to make you rich. Mm-hmm. It's because after reading that ebook, you're going to think, oh man, this guy, this was great. He really knows stuff. And at the end of the ebook, you'll find a link probably then to a, you know, three or $400 program or course mm-hmm. so so content has a role in in the sales funnel okay. um but you cannot you 
it, it, again, it's this balance. It, it has to be authentic. It has to be valuable. It has to be useful. It has to be relevant. Um, and it has to build authority and build trust. And if you can do that, when you say, oh, and by the way, then 80% of the sales uh, work is done. So the content is helping transition people to this point where you will make an offer and be selling something. So I imagine at this point, you will need some sort of harder hitting direct marketing type of copy to make the sale. If that's so, what occasions are we using this and whereabouts on the website does this kind of direct marketing or direct response copy appear? Hey, that's a, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> but, but, but hey, just, just as a typical case, it's, it's, you know, if it's a sales page, let's say it's not a standalone um, landing page, it's a product or service sales page that is part of the permanent architecture of the site. You go to the home page, you think, hey, this is what I'm looking for. You click through, maybe with one click or two clicks, you get to the sales page. Uh, and yes, at that point, you are you are writing like a direct response writer. Mm-hmm. Now, the way in which you write and the length of that page depends very much on your audience and and the, and the market you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I want you to sign up for my investment newsletter, uh, I'll probably write a very long sales page, and I probably won't ask for a ton of money with your first purchase. Uh, that's just the nature of that kind of product. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of business to business where I'm selling like a, whatever, like a, like a, a 500 or a thousand dollar report. And on a business business site, generally the sales pages are shorter. Uh, people sitting at work don't have time to sit down and, 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 and read a 10,000 word sales page. They don't want to. They, you know, they, they won't do it. So, so I've successfully sold products, whether it's 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. Um, you know, with a, with a, with a four, four or five hundred word sales page in B2B. So the length of the page and also the tone and how selly you are really does change according to, uh, the product and, and, and the audience. But, but yes, it's hardcore direct response. You know, I use all the same skills and disciplines I learned as a direct mail copywriter. Uh, um, that doesn't mean to say it's a, it's always a hard sell, but there, there's a structure and a process there. I, you know, I have to convert someone who's interested uh, at the headline uh, into a buyer when we get to the bottom of the page. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there's nothing kind of fluffy about that. That is that is a very precise, very disciplined, very structured sales process on those pages. And when you're selling a higher priced item, is that something that you would have available for any visitor who comes to a, a typical multi-page website? Or is that maybe something you would send uh, exclusively to your email list who know you more? Is there any sort of strategy in there, Nick? Yeah, well, I would do both. I mean, the, the, the page is there um, for, for anyone to find. But, but in terms of conversion rate, if a stranger arrives at my page or uh, my site or... or Hey, a lot of sites, you know, if, if, if a stranger stumbles across your product sales page and reads, you'll, you'll get a, you'll get a pretty low conversion rate. Mm-hmm. If, however, you have a list and like I've been selling, if I've been sending people this wonderful content in my newsletter for a couple of years and that, 
and then what you know next week's newsletter i do a promotion there for this new program or product or service uh i will then get a much higher conversion rate because i i'm i'm talking to the converted i'm talking to an audience who already listens to me mm-hmm. um so yes uh in in you know my, my experience and, and and other people may have different experiences but my experience and, and not just my own site but uh, across i don't know dozens maybe hundreds of sites Sure. Um, is, is that if you want uh, high conversion rates on your sales page, then you know you can't just write the sales page and sit back. Uh, you have to have a plan. You you really want to build a list. Uh, again, same with direct marketing, direct mail. It's the list, list, list. You you and it's not always just the size of the list. It's the quality of the list. Uh, you want a list of uh, of raving fans. Um, and then when you have a list like that, then uh, for sure your conversion rate uh, jumps up significantly on your sales pages. Can we explore that a little bit further, Nick? Do you have any tips for a good email marketing sequence and then actually selling and making them an offer via email? Well, uh, the and I've been involved with this across like I say, all kinds of companies, all kind of, from very large companies to very small companies, B2B, B2C. And the, the most, the, the most successful strategy that I've found across all of those is, again, I've written about this before, uh, and I basically describe it as give, 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 ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the more value you give, the more information you give away. Um, you know, the more amazing stuff that, hey, I can't believe they gave me this, rather than trying to package and sell this. Uh, you know, the more you give when, when you come to the ask, the, the higher conversion. So I think one of the things with email is, is patience. You know, you don't get a list and then bam, just try and sell them something on day one. You've got to build up that, uh, you know, that, that, that trust, um, so that they love your stuff and they can't believe you give them all this great stuff and they just, only too happy to buy your stuff when it comes up. But in terms of, you know, email is, Email is wonderful, but email is tricky because we all get so much garbage in our inboxes. Um, and an email list is a very delicate thing. Uh, you can have a wonderful, I, I've seen this with someone who actually had purchased a 100,000 name email list. This is going way back. Um, B2B, very, very valuable list. I was involved, uh, with that, with the previous owner of the list. Mm-hmm. The new owner, uh, destroyed it within two months. Oh, wow. He completely destroyed it, and because simply, basically, he undercut trust. Uh, you know, he, and I kept saying to him, "I knew this guy, I knew the buyer," and I said, "Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this." And he didn't listen to me, and, and that list was worth nothing within two months. Um, you know, so I mean, the most important thing, and, and again, this isn't just me saying it. I've been involved in a ton of t- testing and all this stuff. Is that with a list, there are, there are only the, the most important things are recognition. You know, the, when, when people see your name in the from box, they've got to recognize it. If they don't recognize it, they'll probably not bother reading it or they'll put it in their junk mail or whatever. So you've got to be in front of them a number of times um, to to achieve recognition that, oh, look, this is from Joey. I'll read this. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the second word is reputation. When I see the email coming in from Joey, I got to think, oh, okay, I know Joey. And then I've immediately got to think, hey, his stuff is always worth reading. Yeah. It's reputation. If you get recognition and reputation, you're 80% of the way there. I did a test once um, 
with a, with a, with a company. We were testing a whole bunch of subject lines and the company was obsessed with their subject lines and the impact on open rates and conversion rates. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, it's less to do with the subject line than you think. It's about recognition and reputation. Uh, and, and I said, look, we're going to test it. And I, and I, they, we, we were testing like five, um, email, uh, subject lines against a small portion of their list, like the day before the big send. Uh, so we wanted to see which, which subject line would, would achieve the greatest open rate. So I put in a test there and my subject line was blah, 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 blah. And I said, you're crazy. And we tested it. Um, now blah, 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 blah was not the winner. Um, but it was about equal with the, the, the point was it did not have a, a huge impact on open rate or conversion rate. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to your subject line. You should because, because it can make a difference, but it won't help you unless you're, or unless you're getting, um, you know, recognition and unless you've built reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've really got to, You've really got to pay. It's the reputation thing. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you send out three uh, disappointing emails in a row, you know something like fifty percent of your list won't open the next one. Right. Uh, so, so some people get in a rush. Oh, I've got to send out a newsletter, and they and they rush it out, and they do enormous damage to to that asset in the process. Great. That's some fantastic tips, Nick. And I really appreciate the time that you spent with me today. Where can we get more of this type of information from you? I know that you have a blog. Do you have any books or products that we can learn from too? I have. Well, well I guess the first thing is, is just wander over to nickosborne.com. And that's N-I-C-K-U-S-B-O-R-N-E.com, nickosborne.com. And, and you'll, yeah, there's a, there's a blog I post a couple of times a, a week, but you'll also see up in the tabs there. I've, I've, there are numerous books. You know, I've written lots of books, most of them short, but not all. Um, and I've written a bunch of uh, programs, courses. I mean, basically, I write for two overlapping groups. I, I, I write for freelancers. You know, I do a lot of coaching as well. So I, I, I coach freelancers. I help freelancers build a better business. Um, and my other thing, as you, you know, the subject of this call is writing for the web. So, you know, I have programs on, on freelancing. I also have, but most of my programs are related to writing for the web. Um, and, and like we were talking about, you can, there's a process here. You can, you can, you know, a lot of people don't know me right now. So they can read a few posts. And if they like that, they can spend 10 bucks on an ebook. And if they get a couple of ebooks and they think, Hey, this guy's on the up and up, then they can spend a bit more on a course or a program or coaching. Fantastic. That's the end of today's show. Thank you for tuning in. I highly recommend that you go over to nickosborne.com. There's a lot of really helpful information over there and it's going to help you sell more with your website. Nick, I just want to thank you once more for coming on the show. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.